0: We're going to read this morning from the book of Isaiah. Uh, It will be on the screen behind me as we read through, but if you have a Bible, uh, you may like to turn to Isaiah chapter 11. Uh, from Isaiah, about 750 years before Jesus was born. But it concerns Jesus, and it concerns uh, who he would be and what he would do. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra. And the winged child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire and his resting place shall be glorious. In that day, the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnant that remains of his people from Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathos, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, from Hamath, and from the coastlands of the sea. He will raise a signal for the nations and will assembly, assemble the banished of Israel and gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. The jealousy of Ephraim shall depart, And those who harass Judah shall be cut off. Ephraim shall not be jealous of Judah, and Judah shall not harass Ephraim. But they shall swoop down on the shoulder of the Philistines in the west, and together they shall plunder the people of the east. They shall put out their hand against Edom and Moab, and the Ammonites shall obey them. And the Lord will utterly destroy the tongue of the sea of Egypt, and will wave his hand over the river with his scorching breath and strike it into seven channels and he will lead people across in sandals. And there will be a highway from Assyria for the remnant that remains of his people as there was for Israel when they came up from the land of Egypt. Now I think it's fair to say that the last 16 months have been quite eventful for our royal family. Some negative things, difficulties that they've had to deal with, uh, scandals maybe that have arisen or not gone away as they'd hoped. Uh, But I guess the big thing would be the death of Queen Elizabeth and then the accession and coronation of King Charles. Maybe you followed that eagerly. You enjoyed the coronation day a lot. Maybe you didn't. Whatever you feel about the royal family, I want to ask you a question to do with that change of monarch. Queen Elizabeth is no longer our queen. We now have King Charles. How much has that changed your life? How much has it changed your life that we no longer have Queen Elizabeth? We now have King Charles. How much has it changed your tax situation? And how many taxes you have to pay? How much has it changed and transformed the service that you get from the NHS? How much has it changed the poverty levels in our country? How much does it change things when we move from one monarch to the next. Why do I raise that question? Well, whenever we read in the Bible about the kingship of Jesus, I confess I struggle with it. My struggle is not about the title. He's the king. My struggle is to get excited about the fact that he is the king. And the reason for that is because I find it difficult to relate it to something in life here. So, for instance, if I was to relate it to our monarchy, oh, we got a new king, Jesus is the king, got a new king. What does that mean? It doesn't really mean very much. Because our monarch is more ceremonial and more traditional and not very transformational. So I hear the angels say, today... Good news has come, it is a baby born in Bethlehem, and he is the Christ, the anointed King of God. And part of me says, so what? That's a ceremonial position, it's not very transformational. But when I then dig into the Bible, I see that that is not the case. See, the kingship of Christ is not merely a ceremonial position. The kingship of Christ is the most transformational thing that we can ever encounter in our life, in our world, and in all eternity. See, the thread of the Bible is God's plan of salvation. It begins with him creating a perfect world, and then that world changes because of our sin, because of the sin of Adam and Eve, and then we've added to it with our lives. We now live in a broken world. And the story of the Bible is God restoring this world to its former perfection. Restoring people to himself. And this plan of salvation is the story of that restoration. Of restoration for a broken world, of joy for a grieving world, of hope for a despairing world, and of wholeness for a cracked up world. And how is God going to do all of that? What's his answer? What is his plan? His plan is a king. And that king is the Lord Jesus Christ. My prayer today for for me as we look at this and for, for you as we look at it together is that we might catch a vision of the king in the Bible that is more than the ceremonial monarch that we have in our nation but truly begins to understand the transformational nature of Jesus in this world and into eternity. So with that in mind, I want us to to work our way through Isaiah chapter 11 and see what it tells us about Jesus, the king. I've got five points, so we're not going to sort of dwell too long on any one point. But there's five things that we're told about Jesus as king here in this chapter. First of all, he's the promised king. He's the promised king. Verse 1, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Now, Isaiah is speaking to a nation in a mess. He's speaking to the, the nation of Judah in the Old Testament, and they really are in a mess at this point. They're facing external threats from, of invasion from other countries. And they are facing internal problems of injustice and then heart problems of not loving God and not relying on him in their lives. So they're, they're in a mess, and God is coming to give a message through Isaiah of how he is going to fix that mess. And how's he going to do it? Well, verse 1 tells us he's going to send a king. Jesse here is the father of David, who was king of Israel. And the king that God had promised one of his descendants would always be on the throne. This is a kingly promise. If that sounds a little bit too far-fetched from uh, verse 1, just turn back to chapter 9, and you'll see it a bit more clearly. Isaiah 9, verse 66 to 7, where God is speaking about bringing joy and bringing hope and bringing peace into the catastrophe of the nation. How is he going to do it? For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. How's God going to fix it? By sending a child. Who's he going to be? Wonderful Counselor, full of wisdom, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And then of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom. How 's God going to fix the problem he 's going to send a king what 's the answer to the mess of our world? how's this world going to get better We, we recognize that so many things are broken and we try and do something about it. There's been a recent climate conference to try and do something to get the nations together to recognize there's a brokenness with our world that needs fixing. The UN exists because there's a brokenness that's been recognized in our world and we don't want to be at war with each other all the time so let's get together and talk a bit more. I don't want to disparage those kinds of things. They are means that can be used. But they've had plenty of years and they haven't fixed it. What's the ultimate answer to the mess of our world? What's God's solution? It's a king. Jesus, born in Bethlehem. He's the promised king. The second thing we see about Jesus here, he's the perfect king. He's perfect in wisdom. In verse 2, we're told the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. The Old Testament kings, they received the equipping power of the Holy Spirit for the task that they were to carry out, being the king. And that's the picture here. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on Jesus. And in Luke's Gospel, we see the Spirit of the Lord resting on Jesus. And specifically, Isaiah draws out to us that the Spirit will give Jesus all the wisdom that he needs to reign. I don't know if you've listened to any of the news reports or watched any of the footage on the recent COVID inquiry where different people have been brought in and asked questions about what happened during COVID, how were decisions reached? Uh, There's lots of going on there today. There's lots of sensationalisation going on in the the, the press as well from that. One of the things that I picked up from, from that time is that no one really knew what they were doing. I would confess, I picked that up because when we as leaders in the church were going through that, none of us really knew what we were doing. It's not that we couldn't make good choices, but we didn't know how they would pan out. We didn't know always the right choice to make. And so we're making what we felt in good conscience was the best choice. Wisdom is really key. It's really important for leaders to have wisdom. To understand the impact of decisions and and, and what that will mean for other people. And what's the right thing to do in any given situation? You know, we never have to worry about that with King Jesus. He has perfect wisdom. He's perfect in devotion, verse 3. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He will give his life, his heart, his joys in following God. You might think, why does that matter? But when we go to the Old Testament, the devotion of the king to the Lord was the paramount thing that determined the prosperity of the kingdom. I have here a watch which I take with me when I go running, and at the end of the run, it this is various graphs for me. Uh, and uh, I can see when I run faster, my heart beats faster. When I run slower, my heart beats slower. They kind of, all those things uh, tie in together. As you go through the Old Testament, when the king followed God, the land was prosperous. When the king fell away from the Lord, then invaders came in and it all went wrong. Jesus is perfect in devotion you never have to worry about the future of his kingdom because the king is totally devoted to his father in heaven and then he's perfect in justice verse three again his delight shall be in the fear of the lord he shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. what if you've ever been to a job interview or maybe you've interviewed someone for a job. If you have, you know the importance of first impressions. That impression you make as you walk into the room or the impression you get as someone walks into the room stays with you the whole way through that interview. It can sometimes be the reason, uh, the, the difference between getting the job and not getting the job. We're, we're very much guided by what we see on the outside and here we're told as Jesus judges he's not guided by what he sees on the outside he sees the heart and the motives and so his judgment is always right he's the perfect king that what's the answer to your problems today What's the answer to any mess that you find in your life? And for each of us, that's going to be different, I would guess. What's God's solution? How do we t- normally tend to deal with those things? If I'm unwell physically, I go to the doctor. He's the answer, or she's the answer. If I don't know something, I'll go to an educationalist. They're the answer. If I've got mental health issues, I go to a therapist. Or, or if some other issue, I might go to a different type of service. I, I might look to church people as the answer. Or, or change of scenery, it's all getting a bit difficult, I've just got to change things up in my life. Now again, I don't want to disparage those. God uses means to help us. But as God looks at the mess of our life, what's his solution to our problems? It is a king, Jesus, coming into this world. Jesus, who dies for our sin. Jesus, who rises again. Jesus, who calls us to follow him. He is God's answer to the brokenness of our lives. He's the perfect king. Thirdly, he's the peace-bringing king. As we read through this, there's this uh, section in the middle, which is, is beautiful, just describing to us real peace. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb. Now, that's just otherworldly to us, isn't it? The, the idea of a wolf shall dwell with the lamb. Could, could you imagine David Attenborough uh, goes to, to do a documentary um, somewhere in northern America. Uh, And as he, he follows a wolf pack, he finds a little lamb going around with him. It doesn't happen, does it? That lamb is going to be eaten. But the wolf shall dwell with the lamb. This is peace. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together. I wonder if the the kind of logic there is, well, the calf and the lion, well, maybe the lion doesn't eat the calf because it's too skinny. No, the fattened calf, the one that's full of meat. There's peace. A little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the whole of the cobra. I want you to imagine that reported this week on Facebook was that somebody discovered a hole on the wash where a cobra lived. Okay, lots of people are going to go out to try and see it. Keep their distance. You go out with your nine-month-old child, and uh, they're not quite crawling. Maybe they sort of shuffle somehow. Um, You don't know where they are, but then suddenly you see your nine-month-old child right by the hole. And a cobra comes out. What are you going to do? Would any of us think that that situation is okay? Would any of us think that that situation is going to turn out well? No, it just doesn't happen. But in Christ's kingdom... It is a kingdom of such real peace that every member, everything that's there, works together in perfect harmony. It's a kingdom of real peace. But what does this mean? It, it, we have to understand pictures like this in, in, in the sense of now, not yet, that we have in the Bible. The Bible talks about when you become a Christian, now you, you, you get something of this peace because you belong to, to Christ's kingdom. But then there is eternity where we will experience it more and more. So pictures like this, we have to have this kind of now. We taste some of it, but but then in eternity, when Jesus returns, all of this will be fully fulfilled. So. I- say, become a Christian and then go play with cobras. Not until eternity. Wait for then, unless you want to get there quicker. But, it's... but the peace of the kingdom is something that we can know today. What do we see, though, in verse 9? We see that this isn't just real peace, it's rooted Peace. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Where does this peace come from? What's the assurance of it? What's the guarantee of it? It's that the King, Jesus, brings with him the knowledge of God. And as we know the King, we know God. Peace comes out of the fountain of God, of who he is. And peace pours into our lives as we become connected to him through Christ. And we see who he is. I find that really interesting. If we have two children who are fighting, okay, going at it hammers and tongs, what, what might we do about it? Well, we might separate them first of all, and then at that point, or later, sit them down, uh, talk through the issues, why did this happen, what went wrong, help them to see that fighting was the wrong way of dealing with it, it was unkind, we might have a moment of apologies, you might role play, how might you go through this process again and not end up with fighting, and then at the end, you've got two children that are at peace with each other, haven't you? Kind of. I don't want to disparage that. We, we, we need to deal with things in those ways often. But we need to recognize that that is a sticking plaster piece. Just like a peace treaty between two countries after war, it's a sticking plaster piece. The only real, deep, lasting peace that comes into our lives is through knowing God. And the knowledge of God being poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. What's God's answer? What's his solution to the brokenness of our world? The brokenness that we feel. The brokenness that we grieve as we look around us. It's the King. Jesus. And people coming into his peace-filled kingdom he's the peace bringing king fourthly he's the proclaimed king the proclaimed king what are we told in verse 10 that jesus will be raised up as a banner here in the esv he will stand as a signal for the peoples essentially what's being said here is god is going to raise up his name so people hear and know that he is the king think about the big banner on the wall outside if you've seen it, if you come from, from that side, that way, you'll see it every time you drive in this big banner that tells you there's a carol service, an outdoor carol service at 5 p.m. this evening. Notice how I got the notices in there. Carol service at 5 p.m. this evening. Come along. That's what a banner's about, isn't it? Here's the news. Come along. Come and join. And as a church today, as the people of God today, that is our role, to, to be that banner for Jesus, to say Jesus. Him. That's what we're to be about. That's what we're to be doing. And so we read, Jesus will be raised up as a banner. But notice God is not just raising Jesus as a banner, He's not just telling the world that Jesus is here and inviting people to come. He is actively gathering people into His kingdom. Verse 11, in that day, Notice the repeat, in that day, verse 10, in that day, this is the same day, the day in which we live today, in that day, the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnant, the remains of his people from Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathros, from Cush, from Elam, from China, from Hamath, and from the coastlands of the sea, essentially from the whole world, he is gathering in his people. I think I've mentioned before one of the resources that we use as a family um, to help us to pray for the world is the Operation World app. You can get it on on your phones, whether you're Android or or Apple, Uh, and essentially it goes through the countries of the world over a year and, and helps you to understand a little bit about what's going on there and how can you pray for that nation and how can you pray particularly for the spread of the gospel in that nation. I was really encouraged recently as we prayed for Vietnam, getting near the end of the year, so in the V's, Z's yesterday, Zambia. Praying for Vietnam. It's not a nation that normally strikes you as a place where there's a lot of gospel work, but it was speaking about the numbers of people coming to Christ in Vietnam. And one of the particular ways that God is doing that is through the the people that leave Vietnam for for work or for whatever to go to other nations, hearing of Jesus, being converted, and then coming back and telling their friends and family about the Lord Jesus Christ. God is gathering people in to his kingdom. It's not just that he is announcing Jesus. He is graciously bringing people to know him. Have you ever heard the question, What is God doing today about the brokenness of the world? What is God doing today to sort out the mess in this world? The Bible would answer that question in a number of ways. It would say He's restraining sin and its effects. He's stopping sin, he's releasing people from from captivity, and there's all these kind of physical things that are going on, but ultimately the Bible says this is what God is doing to fix the brokenness of the world. He is bringing people to know King Jesus and become part of his peace-filled kingdom. To taste and see that the Lord is good today, And to have the hope of a glorious eternity. He's the proclaimed king. And then fifthly, he's the powerful king. He's the powerful king. He's the king who breaks down the barriers between us and God. If you look at verse 15. And the Lord will utterly destroy the tongue of the sea of Egypt. This kind of seems a a bit of a bizarre picture. What's going on here? I think what he's talking about is um, the Red Sea experience of the people of Israel when they came out of Egypt in the Exodus. He's going back to their history. Uh, They had that experience. They initially went across the desert, uh, and then they came to the Red Sea, and the Egyptian army came up behind them, and they were trapped. No way forward. How were they going to get to the promised land? Did they have to go through the Egyptian army? What was going to happen And then God separated the Red Sea and they walked through on dry ground. The Bible talks about us having a Red Sea, a barrier between us and the blessings of God, between us and knowing God. It's a barrier that's put up because of our sin. Listen to these words in the book of Colossians. You... He's talking to Christians who have put their faith in Jesus and things have changed, but he's looking back. This is where you were. You, who once were alienated and hostile in mind. You were separated from God. You were enemies of God. Why? Because you were doing evil deeds, because of your sin. But he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. Jesus has now dealt with that barrier. He's knocked it down. How? By coming as a baby and by dying on the cross in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him so that if you trust in him, you can be forgiven and brought into the presence of God and be part of his kingdom. He's the powerful king who breaks down the barrier. And then in the last verse, we see he opens the way to God. There will be a highway from Assyria for the remnant that remains of his people. I had a déjà vu experience the other week, back in November. I went for a week to a place called Cross Hills. Which is near Keighley in Yorkshire. And as I turned off the main road to go in um, for the first time, I came to a queue of traffic. It was queued because there was a level crossing with a train going across. Queued for five minutes, train went across, came up, we went across. Uh, across. I thought, okay, they got a level crossing. The next morning, I went out at half past five. I had a long drive uh, to, to go over to the Lake District. And um, I pulled out of the road and came to the level crossing, and the gates were down, and a train was going across. So I waited for 10 minutes. I came back from the Lake District, and uh, there was a queue of cars, and the gates were down. And we queued for, for one train, and then five minutes break, and two trains, and then the gates went up. And one car went across and the gates came down and we queued for another. Do any of you remember days like that? I was so thankful for the bridge. I'd forgotten what it was like. That bridge makes it easy for us to sweep into Whittlesea. Here Jesus opens up a highway. It is now easy for us to come into the kingdom. He has done everything for us. All we need to do, Ray reminded us earlier, is recognize that we are sinners. We don't deserve it. And put our trust in him. Where can you turn for hope today? Do you know the brokenness of life? Do you know the mess of life? Do you know the sadness of life? Do you know the nagging emptiness that longs to be filled, where can you turn? The message of Christmas is the King has come. The King who transforms everything. And God invites you to come and know him today. I have a question to close with. A question that I'm not going to answer, partly because I don't think I can. But a question that maybe we can talk to each other about. And I think it would be good to, if God's answer to a broken world is King Jesus. How can we show our families? How can we show our neighbors? How can we show our work colleagues? How can we show our friends, our town, our world that Jesus is the answer to the brokenness of our lives and the mess of our world? How can we live lives that point to Him? How can we speak words that show that He is the answer? How can our attitudes and actions show the hope He brings as God's anointed King? It strikes me as I go through the Bible God doesn't offer any other solution, it's Jesus. How can we grab hold of that and show it to the world around us? Let's pray. Father, help us as we just contemplate and think of that together. Help us as we talk to each other about these things. That, Lord, as we think of our different situations, as we challenge one another, as we pray for the wisdom of your Holy Spirit, we want to show that Jesus is everything. God help us to pursue him with all that we are. And may we show this world what a wonderful treasure he is. Amen.